Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. In today's episode, we're talking about how to build public trust with great social customer care. Let me read out a little bit from a 2018 McKinsey report. It states that when government agencies offer a better customer experience, they deliver a measurable impact across multiple priorities. Public sector leaders should pick their spots and be bold. So if you want to be bold in your social customer care, stay tuned. Coming up in this episode, what is social customer care in the public sector? How do you define it? How do you execute it? five key CX trends of 2021. And I interview Russell Lollacher, Director of Ministry of Transportation in British Columbia in Canada. He is a subject matter expert in this arena. And I also share with you a number of reports from McKinsey and Zendesk that you can download at the end of the show. In today's column, I'm talking about social CX. So CX stands for customer experience and in the context of government and public sector, of course. Now, I predict that in not too distant future, that customer call centers may be defunct and instead they will be replaced with agile digital CX centers where staff are responding to private messages, direct messages, instant messaging and live chat on websites and even integrating chatbots across your digital platforms and really offering an omni-channel great CS experience for your citizens because guess what your competitors are not other public sector agencies your competitors are Apple and Amazon and Netflix why I hear you ask because they are providing great CX social customer care and so that's what we expect as consumers and also as citizens. However, public sector is lagging behind in customer satisfaction ratings. McKinsey has done some studies on that and they find that you're definitely underperforming. So let's try and learn some things from the private sector in this episode. Great CX is the ability to engage in real time. Think about the last time you used social media to engage a utility, for example, or maybe your phone company, or perhaps it was a retail outlet where you wanted to return a good that perhaps wasn't fit for purpose or you've just changed your mind. Where did you go for that customer service? Did you want to speak to a human being or were you satisfied by actually engaging with somebody at the other side of a keyboard or your smartphone. You see, customer CX is changing on the back of our behaviors. McKinsey has done some great work on this area and they have identified four key challenges to government and public sector stepping up when it comes to social CX. The first one being They say that you have a monopolistic mindset. What does that mean? Well, it really means saying to citizens, there is no choice. You have to engage with us how we define it. And so that does not, as you can imagine, 
generate great customer satisfaction. The second point is that unlike private sector organizations, government agencies must aim to serve everyone. So with that mindset and approach, often you design social CX with everyone in mind and a one-size-fits-all approach. Right now, personalization is king when it comes to great social CX. The third obstacle is the lack of capability, skills, manpower, and also technology, and really not leaning in and embracing the tech that is going to serve you well. And what the tech is going to do, and machine learning, a subset of artificial intelligence, is that that's going to be able to understand context, personalization at scale. So it can aggregate billions of data sets and still provide citizens with the information that they need. And then finally, the final obstacle to great social CX in government and public sector is the data. Data is currently probably sitting within your organization in silos. It's owned by individuals or specific departments, and it's not shared. It is only when you begin the true sharing of data and then analyzing it at scale and then utilizing that for personalization and context and responsiveness that you can really step up and meet the private sector at the top of the social CX game. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, I'm going to talk about five key social CX trends in 2021 conducted by Zendesk. But let's start with that point from McKinsey in terms of the monopolistic mindset that's something that really has to shift. So saying that citizens don't have a choice in terms of how they engage with us or how they get information from us is not going to serve you well. And there are greater expectations that the public should be able to access their information or information that will help them make an informed choice or a better decision around something that affects them, their lives, or a loved one is really, really important. So the quicker and the more seamless that you can share information, obviously, in a way that is compliant with privacy and good GDPR practice, then of course, that's going to help you succeed in the social CX world. But I want to talk about these five trends, and they were conducted by Zendesk. And as you know, Zendesk is a company dedicated to great customer service, so they reviewed data from 90,000 businesses across 175 countries. And they compared how their businesses and their customers used Zendesk with opinions and input and feedback from their customers, all based on customer experience and then leveraging the technological powers. So using all of that data, they have identified the top five social CX trends of 2021. And here they are. At number one, there's a real spotlight on CX. The rapid move to online engagement and conversation and personalization means that social customer care is no longer an option, but a necessity. 
Secondly, Zendesk identified that we are living in a more conversational world. That might sound a bit tripe because we've always been having conversations as long as we've been able to talk, but we're talking about the digital world here. So customers and citizens are flocking to social messaging and exploring more engagement through DMs and PMs, and that's an expectation. The third trend is an emphasis on agility. And can I tell you, government and public sector have shone throughout the COVID-19 pandemic amidst the deaths and the disruption of life and our economies and societies. Some of the greatest heroes have been working within your agencies. You demonstrated that agility was not just something that you could do, but it was something that you drove forward So the agility and the ability to adapt in a fast-moving environment, um, given uh, the technology changes and the changes in consumer behavior, is trend number three. Trend number four also has its origins probably in the COVID-19 pandemic, and that is that the future of work is now. Support teams have seen a lot of change as a lot of people are now working from home. 50% of teams reported going fully remote in 2020. And this isn't an exception for for private sector. We are seeing changes in public sector also. And then finally, number five, the fifth trend, the digital tipping point. So organizations are rapidly adding tools to help them scale their operations, personalize conversations, prioritize employees, and meet customers and citizens where they are. So the stat is 75% of decision makers say COVID has accelerated the adoption of digital tech. Social CX is an area that is going to grow and it's also going to put more pressure on your organization and on your frontline teams. So it's really important that you embrace tech that you have a mindset of agility and adaptability and that you don't think about what suits you. You have to think about what suits the citizen. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies and organisational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Russell Lolisher, who is the director at the Ministry for Transportation in British Columbia. He is also a social CX expert, a thought leader, a writer, a podcaster. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation and understanding how government and public sector can lead the charge online in terms of social CX in 2021. Russell, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you're beaming in from British Columbia in Canada. Tell everyone what you do and what your day job uh, entails. Obviously, it's different every day, right? Sure. Some days it's less intense than other days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, my my role is I oversee uh, two groups, a web services group and a social media services group. 
um, both working hand in hand and collaboratively to do proactive and reactive customer service. So it's very much about uh, engaging with the public, creating content that is customer centric, um, which at the end of the day, if you're building trust with content that people actually want, that's true marketing, that's true public relations. So uh, we've been doing that for 10 years now. Uh, I just celebrated my decade. Um, but yeah, my day-to-day -day is can cover anything from emergency communications, which is a big part of my world right now, which is around floods and fires. Uh, I work within the Ministry of Transportation. So a lot of it has to do with, obviously, the movement of goods and people. And I can get home and I can't get home. So it... it, it it involves not only telling people what they need to know right now before they get home, but it's also to provide that context and education as to what we're doing, why we're doing it. Even if people don't agree with it, they at least feel a bit more trust or social capital if they feel like they're informed and have some background on things. So that that is the bread and butter of what we do is just that constant interaction, but also that content creation to meet that need if we're finding that it's not being met. So to say a typical day, oh my goodness, um, I'm working with business areas to make sure their information's out into the world and answering questions the public's asking. We're engaging with the public around their needs for emergency information. We are uh, informing the public about closures and construction. Uh, we are informing them about announcements. There is a whole other group that's focused on issues management, um, more political in, in how they approach. I'm a pure public servant, so it's a lot more about the partisanship, nonpartisanship, as it were. So uh, yeah, to say a typical day is just to go, Sure, I'll do this today, but we have a good framework that is consistent throughout. So the podcast listeners are not going to see this, but the YouTube and Facebook viewers are, that, is that a typewriter behind you? Ah, that is a 1960-something typewriter that was my grandmother's uh, wow. that she used when she was uh, 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 much younger. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, I had it refurbished and now I have it in my office. Right under my F-bomb, if you'll notice the, uh, there you go, my little knitted F-bomb that somebody presented to me after I did a presentation at work. Okay. I may have swore a few times. <laughs> I think that typewriter is a lovely segue into the fact that communications has been completely disrupted in the digital age. Now, you're celebrating a whole decade of being front of house and on front line of customer care. Um, but how has it changed and how have you guys have to adapt and has that adaptation and transformation been painful for the organization? And I feel that you're a bit of an early adopter, Russell. I get that sense from kind of talking to you on Twitter and, and watching your work. But people don't like to change. Um, oh, and, no and kidding. So how, have you, <laughs> how have you dealt with it? So uh, that's, that's funny. So a few things on that. Um, how have we changed? The only way my group has generally changed in how we do our work is just trying to keep up with technology and tactics. Something that worked on Facebook last week doesn't work this week. Uh, something on Twitter is more uh, hashtags that used to be really popular are now not. Uh, there is a uh, city in our town called Prince George. Very, very um, important city in our northern sector. However, their hashtag was hashtag Prince George until the royal family had themselves a kid. Suddenly, that hashtag isn't that city's anymore. But if you're not paying attention to that, all your information's going in the wrong direction to a bunch of royal loyalists. So 
it's it was very much okay. So keep intent. What are they using? How do we get to those conversations? So it's very much keeping agile about how technology is moving and how the conversation is shifting because we don't lead the conversation generally. We want to be a part of it. Um, on the other side is how it's more of how we are working to make everybody else change. 90% of my job in the last 10 years has been culture change and change management. One of the first things I did was when I started was I flew to every district in every region to meet engineers, uh, high-level senior leaders and executives who have no idea what a tweet is, don't want to be on Twitter, don't understand what I do. Don't you tweet all day? Oh God, that would be great if that was my job. No, but at the same time, there is that physical, I get to shake a hand, I get them to see my pretty face. And then we just sort of like, we have that interaction so that when I call them and need information from them, because again, I'm not the expert on landslides, rock slides, movement of goods. I'm the comms guy. So I need them to trust me to translate their gobbledygook language, smart language, to, and make it accessible to the public. So, But I need to build that trust so that they know that when I ask for information, they're not going, well, I'll get to that in a week. I'm like, I need it in a half an hour, which is not how government works. So I had to build that trust, and that came with physical one-to-one old school communication to facilitate new types of communication. So we can't just sit here and go digital comms. We're the best. We're disrupting everything because you're not bringing anybody with you. You're the narcissist at the party that just talks about themselves and how awesome they are. Guess who nobody wants to be a friend with. So the first thing I had to do was stakeholder relations into internal customer service before I could even do external customer service. So if anything that's changed, it's been making sure that relationship building was consistent over time every year because that one handshake has to turn into an email, has to turn into celebrating successes. It has to turn into so much more to keep building that trust in that relationship. So a lot. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? You're just uh, articulating the point that Jenny Field, who was on this show a couple of weeks back, said, I was like, how do you convince senior managers to go front of screen and to embrace the digital world. And she said, well, actually, communications professionals need to be coaches. So that's effectively what, what you've just described. Now, this whole episode is around CX, customer service, customer care. This is your area of expertise. Sure. I mean, where do you start right now in the digital age? I love the fact that you alluded to that, you know, digital comms is traditional comms, just leveraging technology. That's actually how I describe it. But what's, how do you, how are you doing it now? And what does great CX look like in the digital age? Uh, well, it's, it's funny because it depends. Because we're when we talk CX, we're talking omni-channel. We're talking a much larger conversation. And that doesn't always work in government necessarily because, as people may not understand, government is not government. It is a multiple different agencies. It is multiple different ministries. It is multiple different cultures. Um, it's multiple different risk aversions. It's multiple different... It's so many things. So government isn't really a thing. That's There's not really an umbrella conversation. I mean, obviously, those that make decisions on high may make decisions that the rest of the organization needs to follow, but adoption, comfort levels are no different than any other organization. People are different all over the place. So of course, they're going to be different in the organization. So 
for my group, I can only speak to me. And from the customer experience, I'll speak specifically to my channel, which is we use customer service and digital web is, is our bailiwick. So for us, uh, right out of the gate, we created a manifesto. We had a very purpose statement and a manifesto that was very customer centric. I've had the same staff for 10 years. Nobody leaves me um, because they don't get to do what we do anywhere else from to, to, the, to the capacity that we do. Um, things are shifting and things are moving because that's the way the world works. But they needed to have a philosophy of customer first. Customer centricity is the term where any decision is why would they care? Why? Who are we helping? Who are we serving? There was a UX exercise we did eight, nine years ago, uh, user experience, for those who may not know, where we talk to the users, i.e. customers, i.e. the public, about how we're doing in web properties. And one of the quotes that we heard was, you didn't write this for me, you wrote this for yourselves. I wrote that on my whiteboard and it has been there for nine years. Because, I'm, <laughs> well, it's like, hey, hey, anytime somebody pitched me an idea that I thought was like, okay, who's that for? Is that for me and you? That, that's not our audience. So who's it for? So anything we do, we craft for the audience we're trying to serve. We're checking the metrics. We're seeing what people are responding to education-wise. We're looking at the questions the public's asking. And if the public's asking a lot of the same questions, that means we have not created content or a website that answers those questions. Because the most important thing I want to do to help my ministry, my organization, is less phone calls, less emails because I'm doing a better job of making content findable, searchable, and so forth. So that's more the proactive side of things. But it's also creating content like, why do we need to slow down in a construction site if there's no workers there? You know how many people ask that question? A lot. So we create content that answers those questions. Why do we close roads for eight hours? Because they're crime scenes when people have accidents. People don't understand the context. context sometimes. They just see, I can get home, I can't get home. And I get it. That's their world. And that's all they care about because it's it's what impacts them. So to provide that context is really helpful when it comes to follow up, when it comes to pulling content. Content we created seven years ago is still as relevant today because we create it for evergreen purposes. So when we create it, well, like, hey, do we have a blog? Oh, yeah, we wrote that in 2015. It's still useful. Yeah, we'll update it a little bit and then share it. So our, our focus is very much answering questions within a time frame through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we also are on Flickr. Yeah, Flickr still lives. And YouTube as well. So we're using those platforms, Instagram stories and so forth, to answer questions. That's the whole point is to just get that engagement of, do you have questions? We got answers. And then we've built the culture in my organization so people get back to us really fast. So And, and our approval process is very minimal. Because to be honest, if you had a, if you and most government agencies have this problem, if you have an onerous approval process in the social media sphere, you're serving yourself, not the public. Oh, I, Russell, I think we've we've gone to the same school of public sector communications because you're speaking my language. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something. What was the last thing you said? It, w- it was brilliant. Yes. Um, oh, it was all brilliant. It was all brilliant. But what, what did I say? What did I say? You're creating, <laughs> you're creating comms that suits yourself as opposed to for the public. So this brings me to the, the McKinsey did a study in 2018. Um, and again, um, they talk about the monopolistic mindset within government and public sector behind the curve when it comes to customer care. 
because they are creating parameters from which they will operate. And so not giving the customer a choice as to how they can communicate. Whereas you don't have that clearly because everything you described is designed from customer centric first. So is this an easier place for you to be? Have you reduced those inbound calls? Have you reduced those inbound emails? Is this a success model that people should be aspiring to? Uh, so as a part of change management, if anybody's been in change management, you can't really do change management until you're understanding you're being successful and moving the needle. So a big part of what we do is celebrating successes and then taking those successes and throwing them back at people going, look, it works. We, I have a presentation I've done, I think, 150 times where I show all the quotes that we got when we first started. Um, don't you tweet all day? How are we doing compared to Justin Bieber? Um, you know, how is the, can we turn comments off the Facebook? Like these were the comments 10 years ago. The comments I've had since in the last five years is social media saved our ass. Um, thank you so much for engaging the public. So we got less phone calls. Like we maybe we could probably do a better job when it comes to quantitative metrics in a few of those realms, but qualitative wise, the feeling that we're out there and we're helping and we're, we're, we're supporting our own ministry to make their jobs easier across the board. Yes. So when we work with people, cause again, when people ask how big my team is, I say 1400 people. Because I can't be in certain periods, uh, certain areas of the province and get answers quickly, you know, and, and know what's going on. I have to rely on the experts there. So they will tell me stuff. I will share it to the world, uh, whether it's a photo, whether it's an answer. I will share those metrics and I will share it back with that person to see, look what happens when you share with me. I can help the public. And then I CC their boss, their boss, and their boss. Because they need to understand that what we do is granular, it's it's impactful, it's happening daily, and there's a reason that suddenly your staff is busy talking to my team for a little while, because there's a reason for it. Um, so having those successes, we do a Valentine's Day card every year, where we, we share the most popular pieces of content we got from the field, the metrics around them, and then we share to the entire ministry to show, look who works with us. Aren't you feeling left out that you don't? And aren't they awesome? And thankfully making us look awesome to the public. So it is very much that culture change piece. So when it comes to success, yeah, a lot of it. And our engagement numbers just keep going up and up and up and up. Um, and we're measuring how the public's, public continues to come to us. We've literally had the public fight with elections organizations to make us talk more during elections time, which we can't because it's a dark period and they call it, you know, um, caretaker mode, but but the public is fighting for a government agency to talk. That's not how the world works. And yet, I have documented proof that go, yeah. Why is why why do they have to be quiet? They're awesome. Why why did that's a success in my book? Gov people want the government to talk. So, talk to me about how you deal with the negativity. So, I'm guessing at this stage of the conversation that. You're equally as confident going into a time when the public are not happy with you. That you can. Oh, yeah. you're That's daily. That's every day. <laughs> and and it depends. I mean, we've got people have. I mean, we have a very 
I don't want segmented audience doesn't sound right, but it's true. I mean, we have the regular traveling public, tourists, truck drivers, cyclists. There are different uh, areas of the population that have different needs and wants from the services we provide. Not all of them feel like we're doing everything we can to what they particularly want. Um, so yeah, we have to dive in. Sometimes we work with our other organization that does the news releases and, and the more traditional communications. So we share their content and not all of it is welcomed. So we're the front line getting those, getting that get vitriol or anger. At the end of the day, people have a right to criticize. We are a public agency. We don't own Facebook or Twitter. People have every right to use those platforms because they're technically paying for it as taxpayers to have a conversation back with us. They're not trolls just because they disagree with what we're saying. They have a right. If they're swearing, okay, well, it might be because they're passionate and frustrated, not because they're sexist, racist, or ageist. Having said that, we do have a moderation policy on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, where it's if you're going in these directions, we will have to remove your comments. Now, if it's just regular disagreements, we'll answer. We'll correct misinformation because these conversations are already happening, whether you're a part of the conversation or not. That's why I love when government agencies are like, oh, no, we can't be on social media. They'll say bad things. They're already saying bad things. Are you a part of the conversation or not? I did a presentation when I first started to a bunch of um, uh, project managers. And I'm like, don't you? And there's like 100, 150 people in the audience. And I'm like, don't you hate it when the people don't understand what you're saying? God, yeah, we hate that. That uh, sucks. Don't you hate it when they're spreading misinformation about your work? Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Oh, yeah. You know whose fault that is? Yours. Didn't go over well, but it hit the message home. Because they're just sitting there going like this as opposed to getting into the conversation, hearing what people have to say, maybe we're communicating badly. Maybe we have to correct misinformation. So social allows us to do that. So that level of negative comments is just talking to people. When it gets to that next layer where the moderation policy is needed, uh, we will, we don't, Facebook hides comments actually a lot of times. So we still monitor a lot of those because they have their own monitoring. But if it gets into an area where it's really, racist, sexist, ageist, we use our moderation policy. We'll actually remove the comment and then share our moderation policy with everybody and go, we hate doing this. We do. I hate removing stuff. I've removed in 10 years, I can count maybe on both hands how many we've removed. Like we're really good about trying not to. But if you're, this is a place of conversation. This is a place of usefulness. If you're sitting there being hate speech and and that that just can't work. But we also want to show the rest of the community that this is important for us to make this as a healthy community. And I'll tell you, almost every time we put that moderation policy up, people are like, 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 because they appreciate the fact that we're trying to keep it civil because they're also noticing that we're not removing just negative comments because they're negative comments. We only reserve that for people that are really getting into that hate speech realm or or just getting inflammatory that's just not helpful to anybody. So let's talk about the social networks and you're on Twitter, Facebook, sure. Instagram, um, and people can DM there. How has that changed? Are people now using Instagram a little bit more for customer service? Um, I'm really impressed that you're there and doing it. Yeah, uh, we were the first one in our organization to be on Instagram. So we've been on there 
six or seven years. Yeah, I actually talked to the Instagram about our Instagram. They were really supportive of what we're doing. Um, yeah, people, I mean, at the end of the day, what's customer service? The public asking you questions, which is engagement, period. So if they're on any platform asking you a question, it's customer care. You're literally, it's, it's your job to answer and answer quickly. Um, what's changed a bit is that, hell, we were on Google Plus when we went on Instagram, so that tells you how long we've been on it. Uh, we try to keep on top of things. Uh, Twitter was one of our first ones out of the gate. Twitter tends to be the most popular one for most government agencies uh, because it was the first one out of the gate. Uh, and it was it's associated with the news uh, a little bit more in the media. So that's where government tends to go because traditionally media is how they communicate. Um, that's certainly how the world's changed. But Twitter was, for us, we love Twitter because of the timeliness of the nature of our work. You can get home, you can't get home, now you can get home. Twitter's just that. So we are absolutely, Twitter's uh, really popular for us and we use it organically. Uh, Facebook, much more community building, much more of a conversation. Instagram, pretty pictures. Uh, how it's changed, moved more into Instagram stories. Obviously we embrace that pretty much right out of the gate, which translates into Facebook stories. Um, we get a lot of people going, so are you gonna be on Snapchat or TikTok next? You know what, as a communications professional, you need to understand these platforms. Um, my favorite's the communications people and just know how to write news releases. I'm like, sorry, you're, it's like you're a hammer expert. I'd rather be a carpenter. I don't wanna be a, uh, you know, a master of one tool. I want to be able to build a house. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's very much important to be aware of these things, how they could work. I don't because of resources and time. I, we just do not have the capacity. I'd love to be on Reddit. That's an amazing community. But to be honest, if you don't have the time and resources to get in it, it'll hurt you. So it's, it's more of if I can't properly serve my customers, our customers, then I, I can't have the time and the resources to do it because we are very busy doing all the other things. So um, yeah, we, we definitely, all, all these platforms are used for social media. Generally, Twitter is probably the most, Twitter and Facebook are actually definitely the back and forth a lot more. Uh, Instagram, we get a lot of like kudos and a lot of just really enjoying photos and, and, and a little bit more fun and creativity. Flickr is much more just to tell the story. We don't do a lot of engagement there just because there isn't, but we use it to show here's an incident and here's all the things we did to fix it. Uh, because if you're just showing pictures of incidents five years from now, all the public sees is a bunch of messes you didn't clean up. So we need to show the whole story. Uh, even if we'd never get as much love for the cleanup as we do for the explosion or the mess, right? So it's important to tell the full scope. YouTube as well. I think I think we're re-looking at YouTube uh, and, and our strategy around that of how to embrace that a bit better. But again, that's par for the course. Always re-look at, audit, see how you're doing so you can do better. Russell, it's been uh, such a breath of fresh air to talk to you. Honestly, I feel like sometimes I'm I'm preaching um, from my pulpit, um, but you are have just given us a, a phenomenal case study of how to just embrace digital, but by bringing the old-fashioned great style of comms with you and just doing it from the shoes of the citizen. Um, and honestly, I could talk to you all day. But I'm, I'm, I have another idea. So we're going to pause the conversation for now. Um, but for sure, we're going to hear from Russell again and dig deep into some of those case studies because I think you've got a lot more 
um, to offer and to share with us. But for now, Russell, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. To download the McKinsey and the Zendesk reports that I mentioned in this episode, go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com and find the blog post associated with this episode. As always, I appreciate your feedback, your questions, and please don't forget that you can recommend topics for the show. If you haven't already, please share the Public Sector Marketing Show with a public sector pro that you know. It's absolutely free, great insights and knowledge and tips every single week on YouTube, on Facebook, and on your favorite podcast platform. And on that note, please make sure you subscribe, you rate, and review because all of those ratings and reviews help me reach more people. So I really appreciate your input. Until next time, stay digital. And of course, if you ever have a social media or a digital marketing challenge that you want to tease out, be sure to get in touch. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. 